Ladies and gentlemen, what are we doing? Why is Saudi Arabia winning a bid to host the 2029 Asia Winter Games? So I'll say it again, Saudi Arabia, you know what that is, you know where that is, hosting the 2029 Asian Winter Games. In the words, public enemies, Chuck D, bring the noise. Fifth M Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this is what's good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. Let me just let me, let me just give me some more detail on here. So, one of the bids to host 2029 Asia Winter Games, a planned mountain resort in a planned desert mega city. The Trojana development is expected to be completed in 2026, and will offer outdoor skiing, a man-made freshwater lake. And a nature reserve. So, what are we doing here? Like, it, it, this 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 week has just been just random fucking headlines, just just ad libbed, just 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 headlines done via Mad Lib, that, that that game that Americans do, and it's kind of funny, right? To do Mad Libs, hella funny, but it's just this is just annoying now, like. Uh, Kanye West wearing White Lives Matter shirts. Oh, even even more, even more. F- f- the, f- the first time I saw that actually wasn't even Kanye West related. Like it, well, he was on the he was on the back end of the headline. The first half of the headline, the first time I saw, saw any um, remnant of that event, um, whatever Kanye's event was, was um, uh, Lauren Hill's daughter Selah wears White Lives Matter shirt. <laughs> At Kanye West event, and I'm just like, what is the is the Matrix glitching? <laughs> I I I just don't understand things anymore. It's just it just things don't make sense. It's just, it's just jarring me. It's just it's it's really it's breaking my brain. Honestly, I just don't, I can't. And then and then American friends are trying to explain to me like how hoteps are. On the same pedestal as like a Candace Owens type, and I, I, just, I don't know, man. I just can't. Like, I get it; they're all nut jobs, but you know, there's different. Do they have the exact same views on everything? Like, I don't know. But honestly, I don't care. At the end of the day, um, I don't plan on meeting any of them. Um, but yeah, I just, I just fuck. It's just... Anyway, happy UK Black History Month, everybody. Um, it's October. Which means that I am going to see, and I already have seen, more Halloween-related um, things than uh, UK Black History Month things. And um, I'm going to stew over that for the rest of the month. And I'm going to do that for every fucking month of October. Because life isn't fair. Um, because for some reason, you lo- love to say the word spooky all the fucking time whenever October comes around. And I just don't get it. I still... D- I never will get it. I just... I don't know how... A, 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 I don't know. I'm not going to say. I'm not going to assume where Halloween comes from, because I don't know. But the fact that and most holidays have just been commercialised these days. I mean, the meaning behind most of them don't mean shit anymore, apart from you know, uh, uh, religious holidays. But then again, Christmas is um, a religious holiday apparently, and I don't see much Christ in that. Um, in my in my realm anyway. Uh, maybe for you, but anyway. 
I just I just don't see it. Halloween, I just, I just never got it. I never understood it. If you guys want to cosplay, go ahead and cosplay. I respect cosplayers, right? I respect cosplayers. They put fucking effort into their shit. But you guys doing like mm, spooky season, spooky, mm, and then like on the day you just you're just dressing like I uh, just just whack. No no effort, no nothing put in. It's like why why put in the, why bother? Why bother if you ain't gonna put in the effort? You know what I mean? Well, I don't want to indulge in that because you lot don't put in the effort. If you lot all oh, cosplayers, then by all means go cosplay, go do your things, guys. But I I know for a fact you fuckers ain't cosplayers. So what the fuck are we doing here? I just don't get Halloween. I just never did, and I never will. And I don't. I just. I just don't care for it. I just don't care for it. Like, if you, you want to go, if you want to go dress up, go dress up. Like, why do you need a? Why do you need a whole month now? Because it's not even. It's not even the day. Right? It used to be the day, but then and then it then it became you know Halloween. Couple days, like a couple days before it, you know, in case people need to work that night or whatever. So people do it, you know, spread out over the past few, past like days beforehand, right? Uh, before the thirty first, you know, thirtieth, maybe the 29th, right? And then it was like a week for some people, and now it's the whole month of just of just Halloween related shit, and I, I'm just, I'm I'm tired of it. And whilst all that's going on, we have UK Black History Month, and you know the vibes, right? You know, you know, I'm 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 talking about black history every week, pretty much, right? In some fashion, for me anyway, I feel like that's why I'm doing. I put my, I, I put in the effort on that front, right? I don't need, I personally don't need a UK Black History Month. But as we're gonna get to, <laughs> um, with our first topic of the episode, uh, which we'll get to in a second, it's, it, it's people need this shit for some. People need this shit because you're just not again putting in the effort, and maybe that's the um. Maybe that's the theme for this episode. Who knows? Um, we'll, we'll see if we can string that. F- we'll we'll see if we can string the the theme of effort throughout this episode. Let's give that a go. So, before we begin, let's get into it. Uh, before we begin, email to the Discord link, all that, all that, all that in the full show notes. Please go read the articles for yourself and give them a read for yourself and support the writers and make the show possible. And with that said, let it be drop. And let's get into the show. Uh, in between those intervals, I actually had to. <laughs> I just uh, went to my. Uh, I was uh, looking out my window. I was like, "Damn, sunset's looking good." So I had to get a picture of that right quick. But anyway, uh, in a week where uh, Putin announces the annexation of four regions of Ukraine, practically around the same time, Ukraine announces application for NATO membership. So that's fun escalation. Um, Sashin Littlefeather, who delivered Marlo, Marlon Brando's uh, Oscar rejection speech, dies, age seventy-five. Obviously, we um. Uh, talked about her a couple of weeks ago. Um, so RIP. Uh, Brazil Brazil uh, presidential race goes. <gasps> excuse me. Uh, goes to a, a Lula Bolsonaro runoff. Jeez, um, fuck, fuck being that country right now. Um, and lastly, the Tory Party conference comes and goes, and it's been absolutely out fucking standing. Um, just just watching conservatives just um, I don't know, act like nothing's wrong, but also act like something wrong I, I, it's just it's funny how I, I just love it I just love how they just try and s- s- snake their snake their fucking way out of uh, situations we'll, we'll get to them we'll get to them later but for now let's begin with Black History Month um, and in particular Black British History um, so this is a uh, this is a piece I found uh, via Open Democracy 
uh, written by Noah Anthony Enohoro. Uh, it's called Our Black British History. Is being sanitised. Guess who that benefits? So let's jump right. October 2022 marks 35 years since Black History Month was first celebrated in the UK. The brainchild of Akyaba Adaisebo. It has been uh, used as a way to celebrate, commemorate and acknowledge Britain's black population in history. Uh, quote, something had to be done to make the black child believe in themselves. And I said by writing a CNN piece in 2020, what stirred in me was the urgency of creating a permanent celebration in the UK of Africa's contribution to world civilization from antiquity to the present. And especially his contribution to the development of London and the United Kingdom, unquote. 35 years later, it is the main method by which children and adults across the country learn about black British history. Despite the many positives, there are noticeable weaknesses that undermine Adai Sebo's uh, original uh, intentions. The Americanization of Black History Month, especially in schools, and the overuse of entertainers and sports people are two of the most glaring. I witness firsthand the Americanization of content when attending an exhibition at East London School. The centerpiece of the display featured Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks, citizens and inhabitants of the USA. Teachers also noticed this problem. Priscilla Boonin, a year six teacher in Hackney and the Humanities and Diversity, Equity and Inclusion lead at her workplace, told me, quote, the curriculum's ambiguity uh, towards uh, black history uh, means teachers have to go out of their way to bring it up in class. And a lot of colleagues and primary teachers I've spoken to have all told me uh, that a lot of the maternal uh, material provided is mainly black American history. The curriculum and material uh, provided should have uh, black British historical material. We absolutely must teach our children about the likes of Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks and Nelson Mandela, but there needs to be a balance, unquote. Concentrating on American figures rather than British uh, means people are not being taught about the significance of Britons like John Kent, Britain's first black policeman, Asquith Xavier, who fought against the colour bar to become the first non-white guard at Euston Station, Mary Prince, who became the first black woman to publish an autobiography in England, and others who have shaped the fabric of our nation. At the same exhibition, the only black Britons on display were sports stars and entertainers. Black British history is often portrayed through the prism of sports people and entertainers, pushing the idea that black people are good for sports and entertainment, but little else. The question arises as to who benefits from black British history being taught the way it is. One answer could be found in the institutions and individuals whose wealth and power are derived from slavery and colonisation, as well as institutions, uh, the institutions and individuals who benefit from Britons deriving only pride in their past. No institution in Britain profited more from slavery and colonialism than the British monarchy. Way Back to these guys and no individuals more than senior members of the monarchy. <laughs> Always comes back to these guys. Eh? Oh, I fucking love it. Love it. All right. The slave trade was instituted, instituted um, under Queen Elizabeth I's reign. She commissioned John Hawkins to kidnap Africans and sell them in the Caribbean. Under Charles II, the Crown directly financed the African slave trade. The Royal Family were the owners of the Royal Gambia Company, the Royal African Company, and the Royal Adventurers Company, all of which uh, ran and profited greatly from slave trading operations. Under the Stuarts, slavery was seen as a way to overtake the Dutch as the undisputed masters in the Atlantic Triangle. The Treaty of, Treaty of Utrecht uh, gave Britain the monopoly over the Atlantic slave trade, further lining the pockets of the British monarch who, uh, for decades to come. 
That wealth was passed down from monarch to heir, recently passing from Elizabeth II to Charles III. Of the 54 um, modern African nations, 21 were part of the British Empire. Only three had full or partial independence when Queen, oh, excuse me, my nose, uh, Queen Elizabeth was crowned in 1953. 18 African nations were part of an empire uh, that Elizabeth ruled over, directly profiting from being what was, in effect, an empress. An accurate teaching of black British history would paint the British monarchy in a dark light, as it would reveal all the horror, genocide and pillage that occurred in its name and for its profit. It would also reveal the numerous establishment figures whose family wealth can be traced back to slavery, such as former Prime Minister David Cameron, former Minister Douglas Hogg, and the non-executive chair of ITV, Peter Balzaget. Uh, yeah, ba- Baz- Bazalget. There you go. Many of the most powerful figures in British politics and public life have de- wealth derived from the buying, selling, and breeding of their fellow human beings, and thus have vested interest in the whitewashing of British history. Britain derives a great pride from her role and economic success during the Industrial Revolution. Teaching, arts, and popular culture tend to focus solely on the development of infrastructure, with little mention of where the funding for it came from. At the time of the uh, Industrial Revolution, uh, Britain had an empire, and the empire's slave labour generated much of the wealth in Britain. The United Kingdom abolished slavery throughout its empire in 1834, in compensation for the lost property, Britain's 46,000 slave owners received a settlement worth £17 billion in today's money. Of these 46,000, just over 3,000 lived in the UK and owned 50% of all the slaves. Of all slaves. A disproportionate amount of the compensated money stayed in Britain and was invested in Britain's infrastructure, especially the railways. The UCL Legacies of British Slave Ownership Database includes 487 railway investments by, made by 175 slave-owning individuals, accounting for over $4.4 billion in today's money. Despite this, the role of slave money in establishing the British railway system goes unmentioned in Industrial Revolution histories. Wow, really? Why not? I wonder why. Similarly, the establishment of the City of London depended on slave money, as did the building up of the Docklands, Britain's leadership of the Industrial Revolution and resultant uh, prosperity was built on slave money. There are powerful individuals, institutions, companies, and interests with a personal stake in having a sanitized version of Black British history being taught and publicized. We must use the month of October as a way to push back against narratives and propaganda that has been entrenched in Britain's retelling of history. And and that's just off. I feel like that's just scratching the surface. I feel um, and you know it's a really good piece. So appreciate uh, appreciate. Uh, oh, bloody hell! I came, I came out, I came out of it. <laughs> not, not freaking uh, um, catching the name again. Um, Noah, there you go. Shout out to Noah. Um, but yeah, I feel like you know that's just scratching the surface, and that's kind of the point, right? This is always, will always be scratching the surface because this shit should not be a month long. This should be all year long, all life long. Guys, we learn this is it's the crux of education, right? Always for me, right? Always comes down to this, and I think about this regard. I think about this every day. Um, that you learn every day, right? Well, you may. I I didn't, you know, particularly like school as a youth, right? Wasn't that into it. Like uh, my, most of the time, honestly, I feel like I would have enjoyed school more um, if uh, we started later. Like if we started at like you know midday, yeah, I'd fuck with that. I feel like that would be much more beneficial. May, may, minor tangent 
minor tangent, pitch, okay? Have school and, you know, universities as well, I guess, right? Have schools, especially schools, um, start at around midday. Still have the same hours, right? Um, of, of how many hours is it? Seven, eight hours? Um, but yeah, and then have that, right? And then, and then end it, uh, end it in the evening, right? I I just feel that I'd feel that's uh, beneficial for a lot of people. But then again, work working families going to work at you know trying to get the kids to school before work, right? But logistics aside, I feel like. Okay, I'll just be selfish. For me personally, I feel like if I would have done much better at school if I just, um, you know, went to school later. That's that's all. I'm just not a morning person. Not everyone's a morning person, and I, and I feel like that. Uh, you know, that's um, that's just something that people like me have to live with. Um, and I think um, to my de- was to my detriment. That's how I feel personally. But anyway, minor tangent other way. Um, a crappy pitch other way. We learn every day. Right, we we learn something every day, and you may not know it, but you do, right? You you do. You just don't think about it like that in terms of ooh, I learned something today. You 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 probably don't think about it like that. But then put put put, put some thought, put some thought to that, right? Put some thought to that. Next time you uh, next uh, next day tomorrow, right? Wherever tomorrow is for you, just 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 keep a note. Just keep a note out. Just keep a just keep an eye out for like something you something you learn, right? And then just notice that, you know what I mean, just notice, oh wow, I didn't know that, I've learned something today, you learn something new every day, guaranteed, I that's pretty much a guarantee, unless you're, you know, uh, you know, not doing anything, literally anything, then obviously not, but if you, if you're on social media, you probably learn something, maybe, maybe not of worth, but you'll learn something, right, uh, watching TV, watching a film, reading a book, you will learn something when you're consuming something else, food, <laughs> you know what I mean? I learned you can eat kiwi skin the other day. Did not know that. Did not know that. I don't know why people do it. Um, I feel like kiwi skin is weird. Um, I feel like they give you uh, the the hairs on it are very, uh, very, very not like pinny, not like pins, but you know they're kind of uh, they shed. They shed like they shed like wood shavings. That's what it, that's what it feels like to me. I feel like wood shavings. So I'm not gonna eat some. You know, put wood shavings in my mouth. That's what it feels like to me, anyway. But you know, that's something new. That's something new I've learned, right? My point is this: we learn something new every day. So why not learn about Black history every day? You know, and I'm not saying you know to white kid in Oxfordshire to learn about Black history every day, right? I'm not saying that, but you know. Give give it a go at some point, right? To learn about something else so that's not that's not you know the way you're not centered for once, right? It's you know you know if you learn about you know it doesn't even have to be it doesn't even have to be about um it doesn't even have to be about Black British history. It really doesn't. Um, it could be about anything else. Just anything else. Anything else that doesn't center you, Mister. I am white and male and cis. Just you know, learn something to do. That's something new. It's, it's it's really easy. I feel it's really easy. Just you know, go on Google, Google, Google your heart out. Go on Reddit. I don't know. Do something, right? I just feel like we learn something every day. So why not put some thought towards that learning? Maybe, right? Um, we're not in school anymore. Well, I'm not in school anymore. You may be. Who knows, right? 
but while school that this is why I didn't like the school education system in the first place because I didn't want to learn most of the things they were teaching and they don't teach the things that I feel like needs to be taught like you know what the fuck's a mortgage <laughs> you know how amazing would it be right now to have a maths lesson when you're 15 right and you just um and and the and the teacher um, talks to you about the quote-unquote mini budget that uh, that Kwasi Kwarteng uh, dropped last 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 week. That would be great, right? That would be great. Learning about why the tax rate and 45p cuts, whatever it's called, right? All those cuts. Learn why they're so demonic, right? But then that obviously wouldn't work, that obviously wouldn't be implemented because the institution thinks that is detrimental to the children because they want to keep you blind right they want to sheep you out um so that's why we learn about protract uh, um, uh, bisecting instead right it doesn't that doesn't harm the that doesn't harm the minds of the use um not to sound you know too uh, a- 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 activisty but it's true right it's, i feel i feel like it's true that's why we learn about world war ii in his take history be even more better you don't want, do you do you do you think they want to learn they they want the kids to learn about Queen Elizabeth the first and her role in the slave trade and Charles the second um boosting up the slave trade and uh Queen Elizabeth the second having being an empress no they don't want they don't want that to happen so you're gonna have to be individual about that you're gonna have to be proactive about that and I assure you ladies and gentlemen if you do learn about these things and again doesn't have to be about black history but just history that doesn't center white people you will benefit so much more i guarantee you i really really guarantee Speaking of black history, let's talk about black capitalism, which is, um, I feel like, a very new conversation to have. Um, I feel like it's been, you know, not regularly talked about in America, but, you know, it's getting there. I feel like probably in some African countries it's getting there. Obviously, there's, uh, you know, um, many countries in uh, the continent that are, you know, uh, are very young, right? And um, young on average, obviously. Um, Nigeria's uh, example is getting richer, obviously. Um, so you know, black capitalism, I feel like is is getting there as a as a conversation that needs to be had, um, and this is another one. This is a really good um, place to for black British uh, capitalism to be talked about. I feel like this is a perfect place to begin. Um, so this is uh, written by Shazne Martin via Refinery Twenty Nine. It's called "Is Now the Time to Talk About Black British Excellence and Black Capitalism?" And uh, yeah, I think it's perfect. So let's get into it. Last week. So Stormzy's new single, Mel Made Me Do It, landed on YouTube, creating titanic waves and splashes across social media. The 11-minute video has been praised for its lyrics and overall message, production quality, and its many, many celebrity cameos. The video features the likes of Jonathan Wass, uh, Zizi Mills, Usain Bolt, just, uh, Louis Theroux, he said Justin Theroux, Ho- Jose Mourinho, Dave Heady One, Jamie, Manu Blackman, Lil Sims, Brendan Edwards, and many more, as well as a monologue voiced by Michaela Cole and written by Red Free 2. Oh, so was the was the Michaela Cole monologue written by Red Free Two? That's cool. Shout out to Red Free Two, because uh, that's the that's the best part of the video. That 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 bit, those two minutes, best part of the video. Anyway, uh, Stormzy and hashtag MMMDI uh, were trending on Thursday, uh, Thursday night, as many took to Twitter to express their respect and awe 
of Stormzy's economic and social capital, which is clearly reflected in the video through its mise-en-scene and star-studded appearances. Uh, one of the many huge cameo appearances is Stormzy's phenomenal personal stylist, Melissa Holbrook, Akposo, uh, Ak- 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 a.k.a. Melissa's wardrobe. Melissa is also an interior designer, content creator, <laughs> content, <laughs> um, and CEO of It's a Lifestyle Hunt, a women's wellness, beauty, and lifestyle page. She has styled for some of the UK's biggest black rich icons, from Maya Jammer to Adney Joshua. The Melissa's Wardrobe brand has resulted in massive success, with her incomparable influence reaching a point where recommended items sell out in seconds, an occurrence which, of course, birthed the MMMDI hashtag. In the video, she is seen in a massive black obsidian closet. I love that word, obsidian. Great word. Uh, Closets lined with shelves full of fresh white crepes. Uh, approaching Stormzy with a black croc skin Birkin in her hand before taking out a lint roller for his lime Bottega uh, Veneta jacket. See, never heard of that shit. This is this is how this is how out of touch I am when it comes to high fashion. I just I've never heard Bottega Veneta Veneta Veneta. That's what I know. (laughs) Give me some Veneta. Uh, subsequently, some people have taken to Twitter expressing their newfound urge to own a Birkin, despite not even being able to afford it, which is... Uh, uh, I, I I dread what the link is. Uh, uh, yeah, it's to a tweet. It's, a, it's to a tweet. I won't bother. And even more have expressed sentiments about feeling broke after watching the music video, for example, here and here. Uh, so it's the links if you want to get into that. Uh, the video, which is filmed mostly in what looks to be a massive estate with some decadent interior architecture and design, features the rapper wearing various designer brands such as Valentino, Prada, Louis Vuitton, and more. Excuse me. His Rolls Royce and Lamborghini cars also make appearances to complement his celebratory lyrics. I wear a fit. I wear a fifty-nine ninety in the gym. Uh, got a thing for shiny little things, and got a Lambo and a Rolls. That's a different type of chick. More lyrics that showcase his economical capital. Uh, someone slide me the bill. Yeah, I've got it. And uh, But the M on my hairline stands for my millions. Okay. The entire song and video are a testament to him and what all those around him have achieved. He takes a moment to acknowledge Black British greatness for himself, the generations before him and the generations to come. Although both Stormzy and Mel are outstanding role models in achievement outside of their material wealth, I feel that there are always negative implications for the black community when influential role models and icons flaunt their wealth or sell a, a certain lifestyle that is actually at, unattainable for most of us. Here, here come the bars. In the song, Stormzy, whose net worth is estimated to be 25 mil, refers to his critics on Twitter as Brokar's Broca- bill splitters and reminds us he is not anybody's mate by saying, quote, there will never be a time where me where, where me and you's twinning wide, different status, my chick's the baddest, you know the bags, Chanel, the trips to Paris, and if your boy's a king, the bits are palace, unquote. While Stormzy is certainly celebrating himself and rapping about material worth is standard in rap, I worry about how much of a significance we place on being able to afford nice things and how these material things contribute to our idea of, of quote-unquote making it. I think it's time we start thinking about it more critically in the ways in which it can be harmful. The video, in a way, feels like it's uh, saying, look where I am, look what I've achieved, you have to work hard to be here. When in reality, this lifestyle is largely unattainable. The way capitalism is structured, we can't all be at the top. And even though I think we are pretty aware of that, we still conform to it anyway. 
I think the video really demonstrated how we like to think of ourselves as anti-capitalist in theory, but not in practice, especially when we're celebrating the exorbitant wealth of one of our own. Sociologist uh, Steve Chapman talks about consumer culture in relation to capitalism and hegemony. Quote, in consumer cultures, the mass media and advertising encourage uh, individuals to value materialism and consumerism. Dot, dot, dot. The acquisition of high-status uh, goods and brands has become a major means of expressing identity. Unquote. I think it's very important that we have a conversation about capitalism as it pertains to uh, consumer culture. The marketing of design items, labels and brands as signifiers of wealth is something that can really make us internalise our socio-economic position in negative ways. Sadly, black Brits are overrepresented in low-paid employment sectors and often face obstacles within employment and also within educational attainment due to factors such as institutional racism and lack of resources. A focus on material wealth as a measure of greatness can be damaging, I believe, particularly to the youth, especially when black children are still underperforming in schools. The ethnic, ethnic attainment gap has been something sociologists have tried to understand for years. In 2020, Robertson Bolton found that black pupils have the lowest pass rate for GCSE English and maths combined. In 2018-19, across the black major ethnic group, 59% of pupils attained a standard pass in English and maths GCSE, uh, the lowest rate for any major ethnic group. One of the biggest socio sociological explanations for the attainment disparity says that black students do not identify with the middle-class culture and values of their schools. I agree. <laughs> Me, personally, highly agree on that, that front. Jesus Christ. These schools uh, try to restrict their identity and teachers pathologize black students for their self-expression, leading to them feeling disenfranchised. My school cannot offer them or, uh, the things they want. Uh, Archer et al. Uh, also conducted a study about uh, consumer culture at school and found that respondents suggested uh, they would be mocked for wearing lesser brands. Archer et al. also found that the student interview drew worth from the brands uh, being associated with black masculinity, associated with sports stars that were used to promote brands. And for the female respondents, another aspect of this identity was, quote, linked to wearing it linked into the wearing of jewellery, unquote. Archer Tell claimed, another quote, this said to them being further marginalised within the uh, field of education. Staff interviewed by Archer Tell feared, uh, feared that the consumer lifestyle working class pupils were being drawn into could lead to pressure of being involved in illegal economic activities. Archer Tell found that uh, the student were aware, students were aware of financial pressures and knew of shady activities that could help them. They were, all, they also were, also, they also were also aware. Ooh, I don't know about, I don't know about that sentence structure there. Um, that university would mean uh, that their lifestyle would be limited, and as such, decided it was not for them. This study has shown how easy it is for young black people to feel pressure to conform to consumer culture and explains why some might perhaps turn to fast ways of attaining this lifestyle that bypasses educational achievement. In this sense, schools are to blame, but we, but also we must think about the effects the emphasis on, that emphasis on consumer culture has on a youth as symbols of success. It's no secret that Stormzy is a massive role model for young people with the Stormzy Scholarship for Black UK students, the hashtag murky imprint with Pe uh, Penguin Publishing, and a pledge to donate £1 million per year to charities to help tackle racial injustice in the UK. He is often at the forefront of rallying for black youths in this country, and his come-up come has been inspiring for someone who was just a normal kid from Croydon to being up there with uh, some of the biggest black British icons in history. However, I find his signals oxymoronic. 
Are we going to be great when we are able to afford nice things? Or are we going to be great when we've worked hard to achieve attainable goals and stay true to ourselves? Ooh, that's a bar. Uh, whole thing's a bar right there. That was good. Uh, I think there's an important conversation here about how luxury is often sold to us as a necessity. Preach. And as great as she is, Melissa's wardrobe is not for low-income people. Many of her recommended products tend to be more high-end or on the more costly side. Unattainable and unsustainable for those of us who cannot afford to spend that much on fashion, home or beauty products. Recently, conversations around how much money should be spent on beauty per month have floated around on both Twitter and TikTok, with many gobsmacked at how much women are spending and evaluating its necessity. Yeah, I've always, I've always thought about that. I've always, I've, I've, I've always wondered um, just how much effort um, you know just women have to put in financially just to get the brew products. They, you know, and you know, we could talk about how you know hegemony and uh, the patriarchal state, you know, kind of uh, forces women to wear makeup, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We can have that conversation um, on that on that feminism tip. But getting past that, just how much women spend on getting makeup i can't like i just i've (laughs) i i i put on some cream (laughs) i put some cream in my face i'm good i'm good to go you know i mean that's it it's crazy how how much effort they have to put in that's crazy um where was that right the beauty industry absolutely profits off uh conversations like these it's always been skilled in preying on our insecurities to sell us products that we think we need when a lot of them we don't. In a time where inflation is skyrocketing, the housing market is a joke, and food banks are at an all-time high, I think we should really recenter our attention on what is truly necessary and important. While it's okay to want nice things and luxury items, I feel that black women especially are increasingly putting too much pressure on themselves to achieve certain standards of beauty. Basically what I said, but better. There you go. This conversation about blackness and wealth also comes... <laughs> there we go. Here we go. Also comes soon after Jay-Z's comments on capitalism went viral on social media on the Twitter space. A billionaire compared being called a capitalist to saying the N-word. For people who don't know, Marxism, the theory from which capitalism was acknowledged, has been an ideological framework for hundreds of years and not just invented as Jay-Z claimed. Capitalism is a socio-economic structure which positions a small number of people, the bourgeoisie upper class, as owners of all land, property and means of production performed by the proletariat working class. Black capitalism, then, is the effort to replace the white bourgeoisie with black people. It is in no way to attempt to dismantle the system that oppresses us, but actually remains in favour of exploiting a labour workforce and making rich people richer. Fucking go! This is bars right now. The uh, whole, whole paragraph is a big fat bar. Uh, many took to Twitter after Jay-Z's comments to criticise the mogul's ignorance and attempt to position himself as a victim. He, uh, Well, me... What I did, basically, my 15-minute fucking teardown. Uh, Jay-Z's comments are extremely damaging and really go to show that lack of awareness and black capitalists have or how they affect our community. Preach, preach, preach. In contrast, I actually think Stormzy is somewhat aware of how material wealth isn't the be-all and end-all. Contrary to all this flexing, it seems like Stormzy maintains that everything he has achieved is due to hard work and merit. He rounds off the song by saying, uh, quote, The cars don't make you this lit, the money don't make you this good, the plaques don't make you this cold. I think he ultimately expresses a sentiment of that staying true to yourself is the way to achieve success. But for me personally, this message is overshadowed by the presentation of wealth and branded iconography in the video. Ultimately, though, multiple things can be true uh, true at once. We want money, luxury, nice things. We can love Mrs. Wardrobe Stormzy, his video, 
and what it represents, but we can also be critical of what it communicates about wealth, status, and achievement. We often equate winning and making it to material gain, when really we can win just by surviving in this country against all odds. There are multiple ways to feel empowered. Capitalist success is a system built for the, built for and by white people. As long as our people remain oppressed by it, we should always remind ourselves that it must be destroyed. As Audrey Lord famously said, <laughs> oh my gosh, this is crazy how it's just linking back to fucking a couple of weeks ago when I was rinsing Jay-Z. As Audrey Lord famously said, quote, the master's tools can never dismantle the master's house. Do, need I say more on this? Need I say more? I don't think I do. I, I think this I think this is perfect. This is literally um this is one of the best reads I've had this year. Um just outstanding, perfect, exactly what I exactly what I want people to talk about, exactly the conversation I'm trying to have with people, um, especially in the frame of hip hop and flexing in hip hop and braggadocio and all of that. You know, I get it. I I get it. It's a, you know, it's a core pillar of hip hop. But fuck, like it it doesn't have. You don't have to be a black capitalist. You shouldn't be a black capitalist because it doesn't fucking exist. Black capitalism is capitalism, but you're just black. That's all it is. Like you, you you're not you. You're rinsing yourself of um of what makes you special in my mind. Um, as a as a person of color, as a non-white person, you're completely rinsing off what makes you special in that way that's just me um but yeah no nothing nothing more to say on that um strictly uh, mainly because of time but uh yeah to answer one of the best uh, reads i've had this year Speaking of black capitalists, Rihanna. Oh, good. So, um, recent news, as um, most of you probably seen, especially if you're a member of the Navy. Uh, Rihanna is host uh, hosting. <laughs> hosting. Rihanna is going to perform at the uh, Super Bowl halftime uh, uh, in uh, next year, in February, wherever it is. And um, it's, this comes at a weird time, obviously, um, with the well, maybe not obviously if you're not privy to the NFL, but um, the NFL's you know shit. In general, it's been shit. It's been a shit house, um, uh, especially uh, when it comes to uh, racial uh, elements, uh, black coaches, black players. Obviously, and now there's a recent uh, controversy, um, a re- well, a renewed controversy about concussions and moralizing, which uh, I-, I might get to that overall point later but um it it overall just uh, the nfl and people that like the nfl and people that traffic in the nfl are all being just um silly um if you you, you guys understand that it's a violent sport people are gonna get their eggs cooked so i don't know why you're moralizing it um because you're gonna watch on sunday anyway so you're gonna up, you're gonna uphold the um you're gonna up, uphold the structure that is the nfl so why bother moralizing about it um, and uh, asking for change when the people in power are the people you're giving money to, so to speak. So, you know, you're not responding in that way. But then comes Rihanna, who, um, you know, well, as this article we'll get into, um, it's called uh, Rihanna Said Yes to the Super Bowl. The NFL is worse than it was when she originally said no. Uh, it's written by current Jay Phillips um, off Deadspin. Um, so yeah, let's, let's jump right in because I feel like um, as a uh, that was a nice primer, and uh, I feel like you'll 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 join the dots uh, as as it goes. Okay, 
let's just get right to it. This Rihanna situation feels uncomfortable. Words like odd, unexpected and wrong could also be used to describe how most of us are feeling about her decision to perform half t- uh, during halftime in the Super Bowl. Uh, just a few years ago, Rihanna was one of the staunchest opposers of the NFL in the midst of the league's still ongoing blackballing for Colin Kaepernick, as she turned down an offer to perform at halftime in solidarity with a former San Francisco 49ers quarterback. I couldn't dare do that. For what? Who gains from that? Not my people. I just couldn't be a sellout. I just couldn't be an enabler. There's things within that organisation I do not agree with at all. And I was not about to go and be of service to them in any way. She told Vogue in 2019. It was another example of why we've always loved how Rihanna doesn't give a fuck. But it's also why many of us are scratching our heads right now. Back in 2018, the NFL was in a scramble to find someone to perform at halftime. Trump was in the middle of his war with the NFL as players were kneeling. And Kaepernick had only been out of the league for just a few years at that time. Rihanna said what she said, and Pink turned down the NFL, uh, turned the NFL down too. But finally, the league was able to get Maroon Five to sign on. However, there was only one problem: the Super Bowl was going to be in Atlanta, and the league had conveniently overlooked getting a black act, specifically from uh, from a musical hotbed like Atlanta, to perform. Things got so bad that the league cancelled Maroon 5's Super Bowl press conference because of the backlash. Eventually, Travis Scott signed on, as well as Big Boy, to represent Atlanta, as the league was able to find some black people at the last minute. But the damage was done as it was just another example of fans feeling like the league was still playing it too safe uh, years after the Janet Jackson-Justin Timberlake fiasco. But then, the league made a deal with Jay-Z, Rihanna's homie, to fix all that in 2019. But back to Rihanna. A lot has happened since she gave that interview, not just in this kind of post-pandemic world we're getting back used to, backslash used to. Uh, Rihanna became a billionaire after that interview. She is engaged now and a mum. However, do you know what hasn't changed since then? The way that the NFL treats black people. In fact, it's got even worse. The organisation that was doing things that Rihanna didn't quote-unquote agree with is still doing those things at an even more disappointing rate. Yet she's decided to be of quote-unquote service to them for some reason. The very Super Bowl that Rihanna uh, originally said no to wound up being one in which NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell was under scrutiny as he faced questions from the media during his annual press conference. Outside of in- inquiries about a missed call that uh, played a huge role in why the Los Angeles Rams were in the Super Bowl and not the New Orleans Saints, many of the questions had to deal with the lack of black coaches in the league and Kaepernick. If Rihanna was mad at this league then, she should be enraged now. Last year, it was revealed that the league had uh, been participating in race norming, a vile and hateful practice that assumed black players and white players did not have the same intellect due to a racist belief that black people have lower cognitive levels than white people, as a tool to save them from properly compensating former black players that got concussions during their playing days. Since then, the league has ceased using the system as agreed to pay millions to former black players. Um, and earlier this year, former Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores, along with Steve Wilkes and Ray Horton, Filed a class action lawsuit against the league for its racist hiring practices as the league only has three blackhead coaches. And just last week and days before Rihanna's announcement, the Washington Post released a series on how the NFL blocks black coaches. Its examination of just how much hate and racism has have always been in the NFL's DNA, which has led to the unfair hiring practices we see on the sidelines and in front offices today. And then there's what Kaepernick has endured. Since Rihanna passed on the Super Bowl, Jay-Z said that we had, quote, moved past kneeling, which is, which, just as a side note, just ages like fine wine, that quote. 
really fucking does. It just it says so much more now than it did back then. Absolutely outstanding. Uh, I'll repeat. Jay-Z said uh, that we had moved past kneeling. The NFL threw a sham of a workout for the quarterback, which led to Goodell saying we've moved on from Kaepernick. And Raiders owner Mark Davis said that he believes Cap deserves a chance, which led to the team eventually bringing him in for a workout. They didn't sign him. The team is currently winless. Uh, 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 did they win the other week? I don't know. Who cares? Who gives a fuck? Uh, Rihanna is a generational talent, a woman of humble beginnings who has surpassed expectations every turn. A person born on a small line of Barbados who became one of the most prominent artists ever, self-made in business and entertainment. Jay-Z wrote a statement about the announcement. I feel like Rihanna's like Jay Z's first kid. Like she just she's just playing she's just playing the Jay Z playbook so fucking so fucking well. It's crazy. Like she he he must see her as a kid uh, as like um her fucking first first daughter. Honestly, it's crazy. Um, earlier this month, powered by Rock Nation, uh, Rock's in the building. Uh, twenty twenty two NFL Super Bowl halftime show, which featured like friends. Of, Jay- of Jay-Z, like Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, 50 Cent, Mary J. Blige, and Kendrick Lamar, won the Emmy for an outstanding writing special for the first time in history. And according to TMZ, there are rumors that 50-plus people are in consideration to be guests during halftime sh- Rihanna's halftime show. 50-plus? Bit excessive for half an hour worth of show, but okay. It feels like this is a perfect opportunity for a global artist to step back into the spotlight with Jay-Z running the halftime show. After not releasing an album since 2016... And while that could be the reason why Rihanna has chosen to do this now, it still it still doesn't address the larger question at hand of what changed, given that the NFL hasn't. I guess we'll have to wait for her to tell us at the Super Bowl press conference. But seriously, it doesn't make sense to me. I just, I just, I've, I, it boggles my fucking mind. And you know, the easy answer is capitalism, right? They they, they just they just gave her enough zeros. But I don't know, maybe. <laughs> It has to be something else. I I, I can't imagine because she's rich enough. She's a billionaire, um, you know, which is bad. You know, we we know this. Um, I, I I just don't know what they could possibly give her at this point. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe she has an album come in. That's pe- that's what people love would love to say, right? And people have said, oh, she's oh she's working on something. She's working on something. She's gonna drop some new shit. Da da da. Finally, after all these years, da 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 da. I, I, while I personally don't care about that, I don't care whether she drops music or not, um, I'll give it, if it drops, I might give it a listen, if it doesn't, well, I'm just gonna move on my fucking life, right, regardless of what happens, right, on that front, um, is that literally it, it's just, it's just the one big ad board for her, is that it, she's just getting paid to advertise her new shit, I, I can't, I can't believe that it is just that. I don't believe that it's just giving a favour to Jay-Z or whatever. I don't know. But at the end of the day, she, she while she has the... Um, while, the while she has the uh, right... There we go, that's the, that's the word I'm thinking of. While she has the right to change her opinion, um, clearly she's changed her opinion somewhat. Um, I mean, shit, man. You, you 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 have the right to change your opinion, but you also have the right to be wrong. And in this case, you're just wrong. Um, you've you, you did a right decision before, um, and it didn't really affect you that much, right? So you made the right decision, and you won in life. So good for you. But now you've just taken the L for no reason. Um, and obviously, people ain't gonna see this in L. They're gonna be like, oh my god, Rihanna's doing Thimper Bowl. Gonna stay up and watch that, right? So you know, people are just gonna get gassed up here because entertainment, Ooh, lights and flashing lights, flashing lights, flashing lights. So 
you know, that's what people are going to get into, and that's what it is. Um, but I just, I just don't get it. I just don't get it how you were so firmly in a, in the positive position, and now you've just. And it's not even selling out because she she can buy a team if she probably <laughs> she could probably help buy a team uh, if she really wanted to at this point, right? So you know if she wanted to be on that tip, then go for it. But it, I don't even count it as selling out. But I just consider it as, well. You're selling out something. You're selling out your morals at li- at minimum. You're selling out your morals because the NFL's still a shithole, um, and that was the exact reason why you didn't do it um, via your quotes. So what changed? That's just the it's. I hope that's the first fucking question she gets. As soon as there's like a press conference based on it, ask her what changed. Please, somebody, somebody ask for the first fucking question. What changed? All right, let's finish up uh, with. Uh, uh, I can't be asked to tee this up. So this is uh, by <laughs> this is by Miss Hardeep Mathuru, uh via Byline Times uh, called "Exposing the Conservative Hedge Fund Scandal." Better than better late than never, or too little, too late. In my mind, it's too little, too late. But we'll, we'll see how it goes. Because um, um, yeah, Hardeep Mathuru is probably one of my favorite writers right now. Um, go pee that long read I uh, dropped a couple of weeks ago probably my best long read yet um just really great piece and uh and already i'm i'm seeing it or i'm already seeing the um i'm already seeing the argument of um you know diversity and how people handle uh diversity when you know someone like quasi quarting and suella braverman are fucking demons right um but they're they're off color you know i mean it's just it's i love it i love it anyway but this is not about that this is about the overall party and uh, you know the fact that there's fucking people behind the, behind them and their decisions let's jump right in the times newspaper's big weekend scoop the chancellor enjoyed a quote budget day cocktail party with financiers who may have profited from the crash unquote caused by his economic policies rightly raised concerns about the influence of hedge funds in policy politics uh following co- and you can also say um uh Think tanks as well. Um, you, you can replace head funds with think tanks, I feel like, in this article pretty easily. But anyway, just a note. Uh, following Kwasi Kwarteng's uh, mini-budget uh, just over a week ago, the pound plunged to its lowest level since the mid-1980s. The Bank of England was forced to raise interest rates, mortgage providers withdrew offers from hopeful buyers, and the International Monetary Fund made a rare intervention, warning that the government's tax cuts during a cost-of-living crisis, quote, will likely increase inequality in the UK. No fucking shit. Aquating was drinking champagne just hours after making his announcements with hedge fund managers. Hedge fund managers, goddamn hiccuping as well. Great, great. Can't wait for can't wait for this podcast, man. Fucking hell. Set to benefit from the pound crashing. Who, according to a source, told him to double down on his plans is clearly a matter of public interest. And as we all and as we always and as we always say on this show, if they if a politician says public interest, they are lying. Quote. After reception on Friday, at least two prominent hedge fund bosses told City Associates that Quarteng was a <laughs> useful idiot. Ah! The Time report, uh, report said a senior Tory who advises business leaders said the phrase was in widespread circulation. Love it. They even see him as a dumbass. They even see him as just like, well, well fucking hell. This dipshit is going to, um, you know, just uh, get st- get uh, 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 verbally stabbed by, uh, you know, because of us. Hey, fucking let him do it. Let him do it. Let him do it. 
Let, let him get shanked. Uh, verbally, of course. UK's political system is a rep- is represent is a representative, yeah, representative democracy, not an oligarchy. How are the interests of the British public served when a tiny elite concerned with their bottom lines are making their voices heard in the ear of the Chancellor? As the Times have observed, the disclosure raises questions about Kwarteng's political judgment. It will also raise concern that the event informed his decision to announce plans for even bigger tax cuts, despite the market's negative reaction to his initial plans. So why, when by the Times raised the issue of hedge funds and their influence on politics three years before, was it met with such scorn and ridicule from prominent voices in the established media? In an article published in September 2019, Byland Times reported that then-Prime Minister Boris Johnson's leadership campaign backers in the city stood to make billions from his do-or-die pledge for the exit by the end of that October. From the financial data publicly available at the time, we revealed the £4.6 billion worth of aggregate short positions on a no-deal exit had been taken out by hedge funds that directly or indirectly bankrolled Johnson's leadership campaign. Byland Times quickly acknowledged when alerted that one of the graphs contained in the article was incorrect. Given the high standards on accuracy we aim for, it's something I wish we had not missed. But the rest of uh, but the rest of the reporting in the article was sound, and there was certainly a significant public interest in raising the matter. But the reaction we received that this was a non-story seemed oddly disproportionate, particularly because the story didn't come from nowhere. Although Byland Times was only a year old, its executive, ed- P- P- executive editor Peter Jukes had already reported on hedge fund manager Crispin Ode's, Ode's gains. What a fucking name that is. Crispin Oday? Really, bro? That's a real name? Fuck, you know. Gains from the vote for the exit in 2016. And how Paul Marshall, the head of the second biggest hedge fund to benefit from the vote to leave the EU... Uh, yeah, also played a role in convincing vote leave leader Michael Gove to back the exit. One of the primary criticisms of Byland Times was that it didn't understand how hedge funds work. They said job to bet and gain and in this, they were doing nothing wrong. But this wasn't the issue the newspaper was raising. It may well be the job of the hedge fund managers to take out short positions and bet on certain results, but they should have no bearing on government policy that could potentially benefit them in this way. It was the potential influence that these financiers could wield that was of concern, as we have seen with Kwarteng's budget day cocktail pie, which has shocked many, as it should. Kwarteng once worked at Oday's hedge fund, and Oday also incubated Somerset Capital, the investment fund co-founded by current cabinet minister <sighs> Jacob Rees-Mogg and Dominic Johnson, uh, recently elevated to the House of Lords and given the role as trade minister, of course he did. Quote, the interference is not that the hedge funds are doing anything wrong or are motivated to make donations through profit rather than ideology, but that Boris Johnson's decision-making could be swayed by his reliance on financial institutions and hedge funds for donations, we observed at the time. The data uh, about donors, their related hedge funds and their short positions over the past six months is all publicly available. By the time his aim has, uh, has been to start a public session of this important issue in British politics, unquote. I believe that a key question for the journalists who are convinced that Byland Times have got it wrong, and with the considerably more resources at their disposal than a small startup newspaper was, why don't you look deeper into the issue and prove us otherwise? Bar reporting did cause ripples every- elsewhere. Following the Byland Times report, uh, Boris Johnson's sister voiced concerns that her brother was being influenced by, quote, people who have invested billions in shorting the pound or shorting the country with the, in the expectation of a no-deal exit which he dubbed an absolute nobs, uh, which he dubbed absolute nonsense because of course he did 
Former Chancellor Philip Hammond. Oh, God, I remember that guy. Follow, I've, I've, I, I literally had him out of my mind until now. It's just, it's just all come flooded back about that, that fucking prick. Uh, followed up on her comments, writing in the Times that, quote, as his sister has reminded us, Boris Johnson is backed by speculators who've uh, bet bullions on a hard exit. <clears throat> And there is only one outcome that works for them. A crash out, no deal exit, a sense of currency tumbling and inflation soaring, unquote. Former permanent secretary to the Treasury, Nick McPherson, said Hammond was right to question the political associations of hedge funds with the with a financial interest in a no deal exit. Meanwhile, hedge fund manager O'Day dismissed as dismissed as absolute nonsense. Oh, it feels like they have a they have a script that they read that they all read from. Absolute nonsense, absolute nonsense. It's weird. It's weird how they say the exact same thing. The notion that his support for a no-do exit was driven by a chance to make considerable sums from short-selling British companies and the pound. His denial came after a Channel 4 documentary, The Tories at War, in which O'Day appeared to be advocating just two days before Johnson was elected Conservative Party leader, the subsequent decision to, as it turned out unlawfully, prorogue Parliament. Quote, if you're looking for somebody who wants to carry out the exit, you want somebody who actually who actually will think once he is crossed, how do you uh, how do we get this done? He said, "You're not going to change this current parliament, so you've got to dissolve in some way." As Peter Dukes revealed, the O'Day interview was recorded on the 22nd July, two weeks before this plan was formally presented to Johnson by his director um, of legislative legislative affairs, Nikki Da Costa, and a month before it became public knowledge. Thanks to the Supreme Court, the UK Parliament was not prorogued in the autumn of 2019 and a crash-out exit on th- uh, 31st of October never came to pass. Bloomberg later reported that pound-dollar swaps had doubled uh, around that date. But if anyone bet on the pound crashing that day, they would have lost money. However, still, it should still have been a red light about the conflicts of interest when politicians can make drastic market-moving decisions uh, which could potentially benefit their wealthy donors. Why was this not investigated at the time? In the past three years, we have seen the Conservative Party relying on a narrower and narrower base of super-rich donors and which, uh, and with such scandals uh, such as the VIP lane for PPE procurement during the pandemic, the public, right, the public have a right to fear that the government is serving the interests of its billionaire backers rather than the interests of the country as a whole. That, that influential sections of the media are now finally starting to ask urgent questions of the role of hedge funds in British politics is a good day for our democracy. But why this is only now being scrutinised also raised serious questions about the established press and its own closeness to politicians. As the Boris Johnson era showed, actions against the interests uh, interest of our democracy develop and persist when there appears to be no exp- examination or rebuke of them. Uh, that wake-up call of sorts seems to have uh, come following this trust in Kwasi Kwarteng's radical economic decisions is, of course, welcome. But we must ask ourselves, is it better late than never, or too little too late? For me, in the early days of Byline Times, taking on the editorship of a startup newspaper, determined to report on what the papers don't say, and to highlight the failings of the mainstream press, was a big leap of faith. Age 31, I was damaging my chances of working in the rest of media forever. Was I damaging my chances of working in the rest of the media forever? The reaction our story about hedge funds received was galvanising. It was a moment I was convinced that Byline Times Against All Odds was doing the right thing and it was the right place for me, free of fear or favour, fearless and independent outside of the system. So, I mean, big up Byline Times in general, man. Like they, they, I mean, when I, I remember when I discovered them during the pandemic and I was just like, fuck, these, these people are fucking <laughs> spitting bars out every day, bro. Like they, they deliver some fucking heat. 
Um, and they do. They, they, you know, they. I think I feel like they deliver on what the uh, on their moniker or whatever you want to call it motto. Uh, what the papers don't say, I feel like they succeed in that because um, there's especially with the pandemic shit. I was getting all my all that PP information. I feel like it was just coming from them and maybe like open democracy as well. Um, just really, just really good shit on that front. Um, but yeah, man, I feel I feel Miss Mathara on the last front in terms of being like free from that, uh, free from establishment journalism. Um, and yeah, it is you know while I still, uh, I I've actively tried to read less, you know, like love the Guardian and uh, and other places, right? Because at the end of the day, is establishment media, right? While it could be a little uh, less abrasive than uh something like you know the the telegraph or you know the daily express or whatever well it's less abrasive than that and uh, closer to my personal feelings on the world you know they still do dumb shit they still uh, they still they still get money from like the bill and melinda gates foundation shit like that on, on some of their articles and stuff like that you know what i mean so they, they, they still on that bullshit um, but in general, when it comes to the Tories and, uh, you know, the general point of that, it, I, I think it's too late. I think it's too late. I think it's been too late. Um, you know, they're just, um, I, I can't, in what I've learned over the past few years, I can't imagine politics not being so entrenched. I mean, even someone like West Street in, who's like, a, I think, a shadow health secretary, right? He, you know, he delivers some quippy shit. Um, he's he's good on TV, right? He he delivers some good stuff, right? Very energetic, very charismatic, right? But even he gets funding. Even he gets funding from um shady shady people, and that's Labour. You know what I mean? So, at the end of the day, politics is a cesspool. I don't care who you are. Um, you probably get funding from somebody. Um, and if you don't, you're probably not gonna get. You're not probably you're probably not gonna get to many places. Um, so, I don't know, man. I just can't trust these people. I just can't trust them. Conservatives, Labour, politics in general. I just can't trust it. It's a, it's a, it's a it, it's a it's an evil that we have to rely on in a lot of ways. Obviously, right? Um, but they're so entrenched in hedge funds and the in uh, the in the, what was it? Um, uh, economic infe- economic affairs. I forget the i the IEA basically. Um, Institution of Economic Affairs, I think that's what it's called. You know, shit like that. Hedge funds, like I said, like the article said, you know, they're so entrenched in that. And then, you know, you have the media as well that will happily, you know, just pipe up, uh, you know, certain shit, saying everything's positive when it's fucking not. And then, like, when it's weeks, and then when it's, it's weeks later, then they finally actually start saying the real shit. It's like too late, bro. It's too late. All the time, it's too late. Every single time. They're never on time. That's kind of the point. They're never on time. If they ever get, if they ever say the right thing, they say it fucking years later. Like, you know, like, like Miss Mathari said, right? They, they did that shit in 2019. 2019, we could be, we could have been having a proper conversation. And, and even even now, I don't feel like we're still having a good conversation because, you know, people from the uh, Institute of Economic Affairs appear on fucking Newsnight or Question Time. You know what I mean? Shit like that. They're appearing on BBC uh, uh, programs, political programs, spouting their bullshit. You know what I mean? That, that, that this is way too late. Way too late on that front. Um, so, you know, while, I've, while I feel like it's 
Miss Minotaro's general journalistic duty to ask the question, I'm going to answer it. Too fucking late. <laughs> too fucking late. Way too fucking late. Um, especially when Johnson's done his fucking damage and now Liz Truss is going to do some more damage. Like, it's way too fucking late. David Cameron, way too fucking late. Way, way, way too late. All of it is way too late. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I'll leave it there. Find the fifth in podcast now at Kyberchite and it's been what's good. Intro music has been too much by Vanilla. Thanks to your music for the BTC track. You can find both their links in the full show notes. Thanks to Friend of 5 Nappy High for the BTC's charismatic for the interlude. You can also find his link in the full show notes. And with that said, I hope you have a good week. I'm sure we'll try and do the same. Happy Black History Month. Until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.